It is week five of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the VSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Zach King. Kinger, how are we doing this week? The vibes are real high this week, Kelly. Coming off just an absolutely fantastic weekend of college football. Great games everywhere. I think I read that it was a new viewership record since I think 2007 or maybe it was 1997. It was the most watched college football weekend of all time. So the big game hype, the slate really lived up. We were blessed with some fantastic games and the college football fans seem to agree. So shout out there to that. We're feeling real good headed into this week. I'm going to be away from the nest for the first time. Uh, this weekend, I will be watching college football from the iconic Pinehurst Resort on Saturday after playing around in the morning. So going to be new vibes, good vibes heading into this weekend, sitting in the clubhouse bar watching some games. And we got another good slate this weekend. The conference battles are really starting to heat up and looking forward to what we got in store. King, just tell me this. What time is, when's the tea time? When are you going to be done? Tell me you're getting back into the clubhouse by noon Eastern, please. It's it's planned. It's it's hoping noon. We're looking at 1230 at the latest. We're between seven and eight in the morning. So the timing should work out very well for us to, to catch a good amount of the action on Saturday. All right. You know how I feel about missing any college football Saturday. It starts at noon Eastern and it ends well after midnight out here. On I will the say, East Kelly, Coast. for me, though, that's about as an ideal day as you could ask for right there. A little golf in the morning. We got Ryder Cup this weekend, too, followed by a little college football action uh, Saturday afternoon. So it's going to be great. And Kelly, you will be able to get to watch the Ryder Cup this year. It's all in, it's in Rome, so everything's going to be early morning. So the slate, everything will be wrapping up before the game start on Saturday. So long as it's not overlapping with college football, then yes, I will have the Ryder Cup on. We'll see how that goes. I do enjoy golf and the Ryder Cup as you know all right King week four was awesome uh no doubt about it it was the best week that we've had of college football in terms of big games they were close exciting fun think resumes are really starting to take shape uh the power ratings like water's really finding its level with with most of these teams feeling good about where we where we peg these teams it's getting real we are charging through this season this week King we have a very special guest with us someone I've been wanting to have on for a long time King he is the former GM of Phil Steele publications and North Coast sports he's also a foreman former Heisman trophy voter he is Ralph Michaels Ralph welcome to the show hey guys I appreciate you having me on I love your show and the first question I have to have is how did the pod get its name? That's a great question, Ralph. The po- so King and I, when we were starting this, all right, let's back up a little farther. We, we went to college together, and we talked for a long time. We'd watch, you know, in, in our dorm room or in the fraternity house that we lived in, we'd be sitting there watching ESPN, First Take, Cold Pizza, whatever it was called at the time. And we're like, dude, we want to sit around and talk sports, like especially college football. We could do this. It'd be fun. We talked for a long time about having a podcast. It was like eight, nine years after those first discussions. We finally did it. We said, you know what? We're diving in. We kicked around a couple ideas. And then we put it to a Twitter vote. We said, hey, here's our top four that we're thinking. What do you guys think? We put it out there on my Twitter, on Zach's Twitter. And We Hate Your Team is the one that rose to the top. Uh, I'm very happy with it, King. I, I think you love it as well. Uh, it is a it's a very solid name. We have to try to live up to it. I think Zach and I are kind of too nice about teams sometimes. We have to remember we're supposed to be bringing some hate in this. But it was a Twitter vote, Ralph. That's how we decided on We Hate Your Team. It's great putting it up to the public, guys. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely no. We're excited to have you. As I said, we've been following each other for quite some time on Twitter. It's great to get you on. So Ralph, if you wouldn't mind, just share a little bit about yourself, about your path. You're now over at wagertalk.com. How'd you get there? How long have you been in the college football betting space? Just take it away. The floor is yours. 
You know, you think about Cleveland and people don't think about Cleveland as a hotbed for handicappers. But Mark Lawrence started there. Then Phil Steele started. Phil actually started in the business by printing Mark Lawrence's newsletter. Phil started his service. Uh, Phil went to high school with another handicapper, Brian Leonard, who I was roommates with in when I was young. Brian was a handicapper, got me involved. Uh, Phil had North Coast Sports, which was a football-only service, and he wanted college basketball and NBA handicappers to sell their picks. I had moved back from California, and Brian said, why don't you start a service? I said, that's it. I'm going to start California Sports. So uh, 23 years, I was about 23 years old when I started, and 37 years later, here I am. I ended up working for North Coast and Phil Steele, two different segments of time for about a total of 15 years. So on and off there, and I've been very pleased Moved to Vegas about six years ago once my son got out of college. And uh, really, I, I joked about you guys. I'm, I'm an old fogey, and it's 7.30 Pacific time, and it's late for me, even though uh, it should be early for most people. And to me, there's no better time zone for watching football. Having college football on at 9 a.m., being able to watch games to 11 p.m. and going to sleep, and if you wake up in the morning and have NFL on at 10 a.m., there's nothing better than that. So in Cleveland, to be honest with you, I probably watched one out of every 10 or 20 Monday night game finishes. Here on the West Coast, it's happy hour. It's a great time to watch those evening games. So best time zone in the world for sports, as far as I'm concerned, uh, being here in Vegas. You know, Ralph, you mentioned Cleveland not being the hotbed, or you wouldn't think it'd be the hotbed for handicappers. And okay, on, on the surface, I could see that. But knowing the sports town that Cleveland is in the Midwest kind of general area and all of the great sports history that has come out of the state of Ohio and that town, it doesn't surprise me too much to hear that. But been in the business for, you said, almost 25, 30 years now. So talk to us about that progression. What would you say is the biggest difference between the handicapping, handicapping business now from when you started back in the day? Well, I'm going to just tell you a story. Some of North Coast's success in the 90s, uh, what happened was there was a newsletter called Power Sweep. And Power Sweep, if you were a subscriber, you would get the preseason for free. Hopefully, we had a great preseason. You'd be happy. You'd sign up for the season. But to gather information, we went as far as having an 800 facts club and having people in every city that would cut out the newspapers and fax them on an 800 number so you would be able to obtain so much information, which is now obviously on the Internet. So there was so much value in the 90s where lines weren't moving and you could get information and preseason quarterback rotations and late injuries. That part of the industry changed. I mean, people legitimately could hit 65 percent back in the 80s and 90s by having information. And now, I mean, anyone that believes someone that says over a long period of time that they've hit 60% or plus, we know is just a blatant lie. So records back at that point were legitimately much better, and it was easier to handicap if you had access to that data. Very interesting. Do you think that it's become much more difficult now? Obviously, the access of information, it's so much easier to obtain that now. But do you think it's helped Vegas and the odds makers, the books makers over the years with their ability to obtain that as well to make more accurate lines? Would you say that, that would, that's contributed to the, to the difficulty or more challenging ability to achieve that record now? Well, I'm going to say this. Bookmakers nowadays, we are so, there's so much corporateness involved 
that we don't have many more bookmakers. Someone posts the line, other bookmakers copy the line. They're all watching the Don Best screen. Someone moves a half a point. And all of a sudden, you see the entire lines move half a point. So we have very few bookmakers anymore. We have a bunch of corporate identity taking bets on, on trying to get that 5%. So line shopping is pretty much... There are some places where you can get value, but again, line shopping has decreased 80 or 90% of what it was from a decade ago as well, with so many people just staring at a screen and moving their lines, not based on bets they're taking, but just bets that other people have taken and not want to be that odd number out relative to everybody else. This is Makes so interesting. Oh, go for it. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is so interesting to me, Ralph, because as I shared before the show and as I've shared before, I work in college athletics, so I do not bet on college football or any sporting event um, that is a sport that the NCAA sponsors. So these are things that we have guests on who, you know, are, are professional handicappers or who have spent time in Vegas or doing various things. And they always add these bits and pieces and hearing the history from you of what it was like in the 80s and the 90s and how things have changed. That's so fascinating. And also... To, to know that all these sport books out there, they aren't making their own numbers. They're letting somebody do it. And then they're just copying that and moving it as it goes. It's it's so fascinating to me. And I don't know how many people out there listening know this already. Maybe they do. Um, but someone who like me, who doesn't necessarily spend a lot of time looking at the Vegas lines and tracking them from open to close, I certainly record the opening and closing lines because I'm using those to help you know calibrate my model and or um, judge my model and, and score it relative to how Vegas is doing at these various points um, when lines open and close and all of those things. But in terms of tracking it through the week, I don't do any of that. One thing that I am interested in is the tidbit that you shared and that we put out there. A former Heisman Trophy voter, Ralph, when you were working for Phil Steele Publications, tell me about that process. And if if you're allowed to, like during the years that you had the Heisman Trophy vote, vote, which years was it the easiest for you to decide, one or two years? And then which year are you like, no, I voted for player X and player Y won, and I was very upset about it because I firmly believe that the player I voted for should have won the Heisman that year. Were there any years like that as well? Uh, I picked the, the Heisman winner every year except uh, the year the Stanford running back should have won, and he was number two because of the West Coast influence. So, you know, I, my son was young. He was he was just becoming a teenager, and, you know, back when they first started, they would they would overnight your Heisman ballot with your number on it and then send you another envelope to overnight it back. So I'm talking 90s at that point. So you used to have to actually write out your players on a square ballot, a Heisman ballot, put it in the overnight FedEx package they had and send it back to them. Obviously, now that's changed and it's gone online. Um, and again, we've we've seen that back in the 90s, there was a huge East Coast bias. You watch so many fewer West Coast games. That has obviously changed. I mean, with, you know, USC being what they did and winning the Heisman last year, those those data points have changed. But uh, I got a quick story to tell you. You know, Phil talks to a lot of coaches because coaches, Phil's, Phil's involved in a lot of the, um, a lot of the lists, the Bolitnikoff list, the, the Butkus watch lists, and coaches want to promote their players. That's a big part of that business is having coaches play. And, you know, um, uh, Phil really never took calls first. So I was the screener for all the coaches and I got to talk to a lot of coaches. I remember Dave Wanstead calling in, in the beginning of August and 
and he's saying, uh, I got this defensive tackle, and I'll tell you what, you better watch out for him. So we're talking about, of course, someone who plays for the Rams, Mm -hmm. and as a freshman in August, he was calling to talk about him being an all-conference player. One more quick story. Uh, Brett Bielema calls. And Bielema calls, and, and I was talking to him. Phil was on a call, and he says, I'm a, hey, Ralph, I'm on my honeymoon. I, I'm at Wisconsin. And this guy opens up this magazine next to me, and he's talking about how good Wisconsin's going to do. And Bielema laughs, and he goes, hell, I don't even have to worry about it. If Phil thinks we're the best team in the West, then I don't even – and the guy doesn't even know. He's sitting next to Brett Bielema, and he's talking to his friend about how good Wisconsin is looking at the Phil Still magazine. That is awesome. My, my Aaron Donald memory, not um, one of them, is through the NCAA football video game. They, they went pit, pit for a couple years in a row there. I want to say had a player rated 99 in that game. And it was it was kind of random because Pitt wasn't. I mean, they've had some success recently, you know, winning the ACC a couple years ago now with uh, Kenny Pickett. But they hadn't been kind of a historical power or a power in recent times. And they went from LaShawn McCoy being a 99, I want to say, as like a sophomore or a junior. And then I think Aaron Donald achieved the 99 status too. So that's, I was like, like low key, if you want to play with like a really good player on both sides of the ball during that time frame, Pitt was a great team to pick at NCAA football game. Yeah, two very respectable coaches there. Great stories associated with them. So I got two more, Ralph. I want to go back to one final handicapping question. before, But before we go to that, talk. I want to know, what was that feeling like? What were those emotions like the first time you were told that you got, you were going to be a voter for the Heisman Trophy? You know, it's funny. Someone had called and said, uh, there's districts. I think there's about eight districts in the country and they break them up and each, each gets so many votes. And the person who was running Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and calls and says, um, you know, we'd like to have Phil as a Heisman and Phil wasn't there. So I took the call and I said, I, I can just tell you for sure. Phil's going to be honored to be a Heisman voter. And he said, give me your data, blah, 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 address and so on and so forth. And I'm about to hang up. And he goes, oh, wait, by the way, I have a second one. And I really appreciate I really appreciate the work Phil does. Would you like it? And I said, so there was no work involved. There was no thought involved. It was wow. me just doing a casual conversation. And him just knowing the work that Phil Steel Publications did, and I had talked to him, you know, there's a lot of people that call us for stats or data and things, and I had helped them out in some respects. So there really was no thought process. He said, would you like it? And I said, duh, yeah, I guess I would. So, you know, and one more thing I want to bring up to you, Zach, is that, you know, when we were talking about Cleveland being a hotbed for handicappers, mm-hmm. for those that don't know that area, you know, the DeBartolos in Youngstown was one of the biggest bookie locations in the entire country. So Youngstown being between Pittsburgh and Cleveland, I think had some of that reason to do that so many handicappers in that area grew up betting parlay cards and had access to all that data that that just translated into taking the next step and becoming a handicapper. Wow. Amazing stories and information right there. I had no idea about, you know, again, wasn't surprised about the Cleveland having some history there with the bookmakers, but had no idea that that was really a central hub. I guess it kind of makes sense, though, kind of access to the Northeast there, but uh, a a central location, Midwest as well. So a lot of a lot of activity could be run out of there. It makes sense to me. So my final question to you, Ralph, I don't pretend to be a professional handicap or anything. Me and Kelly gave that about three episodes and realized we needed to toss that aside real quick. But as Kelly said, I am a big time gambler. I love to bet specifically college sports, sports, college football. 
I think I'm getting a, a lot better in how I assess my information and access to information over these years. Getting introduced to guys like yourself has really been a help for me, as well as Kelly and the analytics community as well. But if you, when, when you look at games, when you look at the card on the weekend, what would you say is the number one red flag? Or if, is there anything particular that you look towards when you say, this is a game I should probably stay away from? What's your big red flag when it comes to games? Forcing a play that's not there due to injuries or situations you're unaware of. There's enough games on a card on a college football Saturday that you're not trying to guess whether this player may play or not play. You know, we're going to talk about one of those games, Utah, Cam yep. Rising, questionable game one, questionable game two, questionable game three, question. You know, so unless there's a situation that benefits you to play that. And number two, I think, is just overreactions. The NFL is much more than college football, but I always make my lines in both NFL and college football two weeks in advance. Do not overreact to what you saw last week. Make your lines, make an adjustment with what you saw, but you have something in print before those teams play that week that that was in your thought process going into the week and make a small adjustment, not a huge adjustment from that number. I love that, and that's absolutely sound strategy. I've not, I've not heard of anyone going that I. route, and the ability just to kind of prevent any sort of recency bias, which us as gamblers obviously have a strong tendency to do based on previous opponents. Um, that's sound work, and I love that. The force in place again. That's something we all battle there, but really insightful stuff, Ralph. I like I, this is this is you're, you're all of our guests. I enjoy, but the betting aspects, I get a little bit more perked I up. Knew, I knew is, King would love this. Yeah, one. exactly. This is my interest, right? And I love learning from guys like you. So I think we're going to pick some games here in a minute. But before we do, got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Home Field of Apparel. Sponsor of the Variety Sports Network. Again, this is the weekly promo we've been shouting out on a weekly basis. 15% off for first-time buyers using promo code Variety Sports. Again, go get yourself some new gear. Check out what they got. Really cool. Based in Kelly's hometown of Indianapolis. Go take advantage of that promo code while you can. Yes, sir. Absolutely. I didn't even ask. Ralph, uh, so growing up Northeast Ohio, you mentioned you know Youngstown, Cleveland, Pittsburgh. Who is your favorite college football team? I grew up in Cleveland. I was I was born and raised in Cleveland, lived there 50 years. So, you know, if you're born and raised in Cleveland, I actually went to Cleveland State with no football team. So it, it's Ohio State. It's Cleveland is basically 80 percent Ohio State. Maybe you went somewhere else. So uh, born and raised that way. And, and I'm still a Buckeye at heart. Ralph, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Uh, I mentioned I work in college athletics. You're never going to believe where I work. I work at the conference office for the Horizon League. So Cleveland State, Youngstown State, Robert Morris, all of those teams, institutions right there from your hometown and surrounding areas are members of the Horizon League. So absolutely, offline, we can certainly have a talk about Cleveland State and all the great things going on uh, for the Vikings there. So I absolutely love it. And Kelly um, is also a Buckeyes fan, Ralph. I don't know if that was mentioned previously. <laughs> Boiler maker graduate but he's an ohio state guy at heart always has been king, yeah. king loves to give me a hard time about that but he's come to accept it now which i really i've accepted a lot i had to i had no choice I, I, I remember going to the ohio state champ big 10 championship game at indianapolis and driving home that sunday morning was when uh they announced ohio state got into the four-team playoff mm -hmm. in front of i think it was tcu right tcu was the team that was undefeated and get dropped down so nice memories from uh going to the hoosier dome for me 
Man, that was a beatdown of Wisconsin that year, 59-0. Uh, Cardale Jones, man, I could go on forever on that one. Reminisce on the old days. Hard to believe it's been almost 10 years. Um, all right, guys, let's get into our feature games. We've got six of them. As always, as we've done this year, King picked two, I picked two, Ralph as our guest picked one, and then we put it to a fan vote. We put the next four games up there by my watchability score that hadn't already been picked. What game do you guys want us to talk, want us to talk about? What game do you want to hear about? The People's Choice. That's going to be the first game we talk about because we take these things in chronological order. This is a Friday night game, so we don't have to wait till Saturday for this great game. Ralph, we're going to let you take it first. We've got Utah. You talked about Cam Rising. I'm sure he's going to be a part of this conversation. Utah going on the road to Oregon State. Ralph, what do you make of this game? Uh, and then we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll flush through it with everyone, but we're going to start with you. Kelly, I know you do a lot on Twitter with your power ratings and your projected win percentages. And just FYI, you know, I do my power ratings at the beginning of the season. I make my best team 100 and then I go down from there. And I like doing that because then I have a perspective during the season of where I thought that team was relative to where I started. I'm never having an issue of just having some random number. So, I have my power rating on this game, Utah minus five. Yes, Oregon State is a three and a half point favorite, but if there's a quarterback injury, I don't change them week by week. I make an adjustment, I write down my power rating number, and then I make the adjustment if the quarterback's out. If he's out for the season, yes, I adjust that power rating. So obviously, I am high on Utah. And why wouldn't I? You look at a defense that's allowing 264 yards per game and 11.8 first downs per game. They held Florida to a season low, 89 yards below their average. They held Baylor to 88 yards below their average. And they held UCLA to 284 yards under their average. They've played a tough schedule. They've played one of the toughest FBS schedules. In fact, they're number 26 this season. I do like Sagarin's strength of schedule rating. So anytime I'm I'm listing a strength of schedule, it does come from Jeff Sagarin's college football ratings. Despite playing the number 26 schedule and not having your quarterback, they are still plus 59 yards per game. And a lot of people look at offensive numbers. A lot of people look at defensive numbers. I love looking at the diffs. I do the yards per game diffs, the yards per play diffs, and the points per game diffs, knowing how strong a team is. And while I talk about strength of schedule, we're not going to talk about any of these teams. I think it's even more important when we get to weeks five and six, when you look at the group of five teams, because some teams like ULM have to play three power five teams to make their bills, while other group of five teams don't have to do that. You know, the app states aren't playing two or three power five teams on the road. So the strength of schedule is so different, much more in the group of five teams. You know, in Oregon State, I'm not sure what we have. Yes, they look great against San Jose State. Yes, they look great against UC Davis. Yes, they look great against San Diego State. Well, let's see. You were a 14, a 24, a 24-point favorite. DJU from Clemson, uh, again, looks good, but still only 58% completions. Playing UC Davis and San Diego State at home does concern me. At Washington State, the defense allowed 528 yards. That, of course, is a concern as well. I'm going to say this. 
whether it's, uh, you know, Barnes or Johnson or Rising does play. I think Utah absolutely runs the ball like they do. They're averaging 44 rushes per game. They're number six in the NCAA looking at runs compared to pass percentage. So they are run heavy. With or without Rising, they're going to be the same. With Oregon State, they're off the loss at Washington State. Now they return home. This is a situation where we have historic, and I say historic in the last three to five years, a dominating team in the Pac-12 against a Pac-12 team that's an up-and-comer. That is a very positive team, but you still have to learn to win as a favorite. And that's a unique situation for teams like Oregon State as they get better, especially being a favorite against Utah. So the only way I can go in this game is Utah. It's a situation that even if they say Rising's going to play, it may not be enough for me to jump on him because he hasn't taken the snaps. And just because he's going to get in there and play, if you haven't taken the snaps with the ones, there's so much that can happen early. Clear lean with Utah, also a lean with the under. And with this clock change, you know, I, I tweeted out today the plays per game, the average points scored, and the average over-under for the last three years – And the first few weeks in the season, we heard a lot of head coaches say, oh, there's going to be two or three series fewer per games. We're only down two plays per game relative to the last few years. We're only down 1.8 points per game over the last few years. But I think it's a bigger difference for the first half than it is the second half. When I'm playing the under, I have tended to play most of those unders in the first half. And if I like the over in the game, I've been playing him full game. So, Clearly, Utah lean first half under in this game for me. I love that breakdown, Zach. What do you think about this one? Yeah, games. You mentioned how the little clock impact has has really made thus far, and we're still catching all those commercials. So not, nothing's really changed thus far. But I agree with a lot of what Ralph said. I, to be honest with you, I, I was all over UCLA last weekend. I feel pretty dumb looking back on that that play. And I mean, you look. Utah was definitely banged up. They had some guys down in the D line. This UCLA, UCLA offense was top 10 heading into last week, and they completely shut them down. Had Dante Moore completely shook. So I am definitely leaning Utah this week as well. I'm going to bet the Utes plus three and a half. Oregon State, we saw they ran the ball really efficiently last week at, in Pullman, almost 250 yards on the ground. But this Utah run defense, they're going to get some of those guys back this week, and they've shown that they really are an elite unit. So we talked about the, the questions of the quarterback for Utah. I think it is going to be Nate Johnson. Oregon State, I don't think this defense is quite as good as it's been the last two years. They've still got a solid front seven, but they've been a little bit susceptible in the passing game this week. This is going to be an opportunity for Nate Johnson and those Utah wide receivers to see if they can stretch the field a little bit. We know how good Utah's offensive line is. They're going to be able to run the ball. I don't think Oregon State has a good enough defense to slow them down with or without Cam Rising. So I looked at this line yesterday. It was three. It went to three and a half today. I went ahead and bet Utah, so I'm also on the Utes this week. I have Oregon State minus one and a half. Uh, so again, that's you know it'd be Utah in the points if we're playing the spread there. Fifty-five uh, percent win expectancy for the Beavers in this one. I'm excited, guys. This game should be awesome. I love that it's on Friday night. Um, I, I typically like the games on Saturday, but if you're going to get a good one on a weeknight, get get its own window and and put it on the main screen. I love that. This game's interesting to me because from a power rating standpoint, these teams are almost exact mirrors of one another. Oregon State began the year power rated number 24 with a better projected defense at number 26 than an offense number 35. After a 3-1 and one start that Ralph talked about there, 
Um, it's seen the Beavers outscore their opponents by 3.3 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 FBS team against that schedule. Oregon State's power rating is now up more than two and a half points. And now it's the offense at number 14 that is performing better than the defense at number 34. Conversely, for Utah, they entered the year power rated number 15 with a better projected offense at number 12 than defense at number 22. The Utes, off to that 4-0 start. Ralph, you talked about it. Played a tough schedule, the 26 and Sagarin. They are my number four most deserving team right now in my most deserving rankings. Only a 38% chance that the average top 25 team would be 4-0 against Utah's schedule. But now it's the defense at number five that's been the better of the two units with the Cam Rising-less offense down to number 52. Again, with no Cam Rising, you didn't expect him to actually play like a top 15 offense if and when he comes back. That offensive unit rank, I'm assuming, will bounce back because Cam Rising is that difference maker at quarterback. But we haven't seen him yet. And King, I agree. I'm not inclined to think that he's going to be playing this week. Ralph talked about don't don't touch these teams and games that have player question marks and all that. Well, Rising's been a question mark all year, and he continues to be. These two teams now, guys, are number 21 and 22 in my power ratings. The winner will have the fourth best odds to make it to Las Vegas and play in that Pac-12 championship game by my numbers. To recap, I have Oregon State minus one and a half, a 45% chance that Utah gets the win and heads into their off week at 5-0. and oh. A quick look at the current odds to make the championship game. I have Utah with an 11% chance currently. That's fourth best in the conference. Oregon State is at a 3% chance. That's seventh best in the conference. If Utah wins, that goes up to number eight or an 18% chance. With a loss, it drops to a 6% chance. For Oregon State, a win would bump them up to a 7% chance. A loss drops them to less than a 1% chance to make the Pac-12 championship game. The Pac-12 is loaded at quarterback. It's loaded on offense, and it's going to be a very fun conference race. Our next game, King, this is one that you asked for. It is a big-time rivalry in college football and in the South, the oldest college football rivalry in the South, so they say. It is Georgia going on the road to take on Auburn on the Plains, King. What do you make of this game? Yeah, this is a big one for Georgia here. This is far and away their toughest test yet on the road versus I think it's a solid Auburn team. They're really trying hard to get that offense revamped under Hugh Freeze. They had a little bit of a rough game last week versus AM. Well, I say a rough half. They hung in there for the first half, but uh, AM was really able to take control in that second half, got the run game going. Um, and they're going to have a challenge this week, or that Auburn defense is going to have a challenge this week versus Georgia, right? I'm not 100% sold on Carson Beck yet. Georgia's run game been a little bit shaky, but I still think the Bulldogs have an advantage there. And I think I, I, I still do think Carson Beck is going to be good. I don't think he's quite there yet, and I'm not sure he's really going to have quite the same success that these previous Georgia quarterbacks have had these last few years, right? There's a lot of expectations to live up to, but I think Beck's got some arm talent there. He's got the size. So uh, I like Georgia in this game to wear down Auburn, uh, at least, you know, maybe not in the first half, but I like ultimately the Bulldogs to take some control there. And when Auburn has the ball, they're going to try and run the football. This Georgia defense, not quite as good up front, again, as it has been these last couple days. Auburn's got a solid trio of running backs, averaging almost five yards on the ground. Offensive line there has been pretty solid thus far this year. The big question mark for the Tigers is the QB position, Peyton Thorne, and his two games against relatively formidable opponents, Cal and AM, has really struggled. 
It's turning the ball over. Completion percentage isn't there. So I think the Tigers here, they've got to, it's going to be a good environment down in Jordan Hare. They're going to be amped up. Like this is, I think, potentially going to be similar to last week in their game versus AM. I think they can hand the, hand the dogs for a while. Georgia absolutely dominating third quarters this year. I want to say the stat I saw today was 56 nothing or something along those lines coming out of halftime. So ultimately, I think the dogs will be able to pull, pull away here. And I do think they get a win on the road this week. Yeah, King, my numbers like Georgia as well. I have Georgia minus 12. It's an 80% win expectancy for the Bulldogs, but you touched on this. This will be Georgia's most difficult game to date. It's their first time going on the road uh, this year, and now they're going into Auburn. Um, Again, a team I have power in number 30. That's the best that they've seen. This defense is number 18. That's the best defense they've seen. South Carolina's offense is better than, than Auburn's by my numbers, but still second best offense that you faced this year. I've taken some flack for having Georgia number 18 in my most deserving rankings. Like, I don't know what Georgia fans want me to say. It's, they're still a really good football team. I'm going to get to your power ratings here in a second. But 72% chance the average top 25 team would be 4-0 against your schedule. That's 21st best nationally. You're outscoring your opponents by 5.5 points more per game than the average top 25 team would be expected to outscore your opponents that are on your schedule. That's 12th best in the country. So number 18, Like I feel like that's pretty fair based on what we've seen from Georgia against the schedule that they played. Now, it changes this week. They're starting with Auburn, a top 30 opponent. Kentucky next week's a top 40 opponent. Then they get Vanderbilt. Then they're off. And then it gets real for them in the second half of the season with, with some of their best opponents that they're going to face all year. So it's coming, Georgia. Just keep winning, and you're going to rise up those most deserving rankings. Don't worry about that. What I would worry about if I'm Georgia is the power rating. It has slipped. Georgia was my number one preseason team. Uh, they were number one as recently as going into week three. Now, just two weeks later, they are number four. They've fallen you know, five and a half points in my power ratings from preseason to, to now. The defense is still top 10. I have number six nationally. The offense is still top 10. I have them number nine. So it's not like the sky's falling in Athens, but this team is not as good as the 2021 and 2022 teams that won the national championship. Can they be by the end of the year? Sure. They have the schedule that that allows them some runway here. Although, again, like I said, this week will be difficult. They got to get it sorted out at some point, though, if they're going to make a run at this three-peat, something we haven't seen since Minnesota in the 1930s. It's tough to do. That's why we haven't seen it in almost a century. Georgia is going to be challenged. On the Auburn side, I like this team. Uh, they're up, you know, just over half a point in the in my power ratings. They're still hanging around the top 30. That's where they are. Their, their defense is in the top 20, as I mentioned. The concern for me is the offense. I mean, the offense has fallen to number 64 nationally, going up against a top 10 defense this week. You are at home. Uh, that's going to give you a bump. You're coming off your first loss of the year to Texas A&M in a game that you know you really weren't very competitive in. So I'm concerned about Auburn this week because this is not the opponent that I'd like to see them play after getting beat by Texas A&M last week by 17 points. So Recapping it, my numbers have Georgia minus 12. It's a 20% chance, a 1 in 5 chance that Auburn gets this win and gets on the board in SEC play. Guys, in terms of projections to make the conference championship game, to make it to Atlanta, Georgia, currently a 77% chance. That's best in the East. With a win, it moves to 82%. With a loss, it drops to 65 but that's still best in the East. Even if they lose this game, they will be the favorite to come out of the East. This is not a divisional game, of course, but it does count in the conference standings, as we know. For Auburn... 
they're in the West. It's tough. You already have a conference loss. You haven't even played, you know, LSU, Ole Miss, Alabama, some of the best teams uh, on that side of the of the conference. Less than a one percent chance right now. That's a that's fifth best in the division. If with a win, it jumps to one percent, which is still fifth best. With a loss, it drops to less than one or stays less than one percent, which would be the sixth best. So that's what I got for projections moving forward to Atlanta. Ralph, what do you make of this game? Well, you know, it's interesting. You look at Georgia. You look at Alabama and you look at Ohio State and you look at the, the QB pedigree that has been there for five or six years for each of those teams. You know, 2017, you had Jake Fromm. 2018, you had Jake Fromm and Justin Fields. 2019, Jake Fromm, Stenson Bennett. 2020, JT Daniels, Stenson Bennett. 2021, Stenson Bennett, JT Daniels. You know, and now we go to Stenson Bennett last year. And all of a sudden we have Carson Beck. So Alabama's in the same situation. Ohio State's in the same situation. It's incredible that all three of those uber elite teams have had such a pedigree of back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back seasons, now with young QBs, and we see the offense in an entirely different direction. Um, I am all over Georgia here. Georgia will be one of my client releases. Uh, Am I worried about the Georgia offense? Not really. I look at the defense, and the defense is allowing 87 yards and 3.5 yards per carry, and they did allow 309 yards to South Carolina, but South Carolina has the best quarterback in the SEC, so that's not a bad loss when after playing UT Martin and Ball State, your defense is not up to the complete level they should be. So having Spencer Rattler play after seeing UT Martin and Ball State is sort of a shock. They settled down with UAB. Now you go to Auburn. You know, you said this is the oldest rivalry in the SEC. It's funny, some of Hugh Freeze's quotes this way. Oh, well, I really don't feel like it's a rivalry. And we don't seem like to have that same um, same intensity against this team coming up. I think they're in trouble. Payson Thorne, yes, he's completing 65% against a weak schedule. But all three QBs played last week against AM. They combined 9 of 23. At Cal, they were combined 10 of 17 in that Cal and AM game. Yes, they were both on the road, but again, they were still not up to defenses to the power of Georgia. They had 10 sacks. Georgia has not blitzed anyone. We have seen nothing of the Georgia defense, with the exception when they did send some pressure against South Carolina, and they ended up having three sacks late in that game because they finally had to scheme some defenses. We've seen very vanilla defenses. I think uh, I think Auburn's in trouble this season. I really do. Uh, I like Georgia. I'm not afraid to lay the number. Yes, this is the first road game. But again, this is a team that is experienced. This is a national championship team with a coach that's going to lead you. You had 13 returning starters. Yes, your QB needs some experience on the road, but uh, George will be on my card. I'm not allowed to lay the wood with him in this role. Love it. All right, let's move on, guys, to the next game. We're going to stay in the SEC It's a game that I put on the discussion table for this week. It is my number one game in my watchability scores. It is LSU at Ole Miss. Um, Both of these teams already with a loss on their record. Ole Misses in the conference. LSU, on the other hand, 2-0 in SEC play already. 
I'm excited about this one. Like I said, I think it's going to be the game of the weekend in terms of projected or average quality and projected competitiveness. Um, now that I've said it, it'll probably end up being a blowout. My numbers like Ole Miss in this game by two and a half points. Basically, it's it's the home field advantage. These two teams, very similar. Um, in terms of the power ratings, I have Ole Miss number 13. I have LSU number 14. Guys, even in terms of the most deserving rankings, which is very separate, totally separate from the power ratings, Ole Miss comes in number 15 in the most deserving. LSU comes in number 16. Like These two teams cannot be separated. Um, to me, what might be the biggest difference in this game, in addition to the home field advantage, is I really like the LSU offense. It is the best unit um, on the field for me. It's number four offense in the entire country, the, the, the best non-Pac-12 um, offense that's in the country. The defense, though, that's the worst unit on the field for me. They are number 62. There, there is some real concerns that I have about this defense. And you might wonder why as you're looking at you know how they've performed. Of course, week one against Florida State, not good. You give up 45 points. They drop significantly after that. Then it looked like maybe they were bouncing back. You know, you'll you win 72 to 10 against Grambling, which that's Grambling. Mississippi State on the road, 41-14. And you're starting to feel better about it. Then they give up 31 points, albeit in a win at home against Arkansas last week. Again, another rivalry game. So I get it, but this defense is just giving up too many big plays, too many explosive plays, too many points. This defense has concerns for me. Uh, it's the worst defense I've had for LSU um, in quite some time, even considering some of the, the year, down year in 2020. I am not confident in this LSU defense. The Ole Miss offense, number 17. The Ole Miss defense, number 27. So I do think the offenses have the advantage on both sides here, but it's that LSU defense that I think is just going to give up one too many plays in this game. That's why my numbers like Ole Miss uh, plus the home field, as I mentioned. So Ole Miss outscoring its opponents, guys, 12 and a half points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team. That's fifth best relative scoring margin in the country. I've got LSU plus two and a half in this one, a 42% chance that they get the win on the road and move to three and O in SEC play. That would be pretty phenomenal for them considering they lost to Florida State to start the year and that the season really could have cratered. It has not. Current chances to make it to Atlanta, LSU, 28%. That's second best behind only Alabama. If they win, it jumps up to 43%. If they lose, it falls to 16. Ole Miss, currently at 7%. That's fourth best in the West. If they win, it's up to 15%. If they lose, it is down to less than 1% as they would be 0-2 in conference play already. Ralph, let's come to you next. LSU at Ole Miss. You know, at the beginning of the year, I would have liked Ole Miss here, but I just... I, I can't get past the eye test for Old Miss. I look at what they have. I look at, at Jackson Dark. And, you know, while you see a 17-point win at, at Tulane and you see a 25-point win against Georgia Tech, let's remember, I mean, the Rebels had 89 yards rushing at Tulane. This is Tulane guys averaging 2.5 yards per carry, and they were sacked four times. And that was playing a two-lane offense that was missing Pratt, their starter, their superstar starter. So the defense wasn't on the field nearly as much as they would have been had Pratt played. And then you go to Alabama. And again, I have no problems only scoring 301, three, gaining 301 yards and having 17 first downs against Alabama. But the five sacks really concern me. You know, you also look at the Georgia Tech game. Georgia Tech had 26 first downs and completed 55% of their third downs. They didn't turn the ball over, and they punted only twice. 
It was a one. It was a one-score game mid fourth quarter. And what did they do? They scored a couple touchdowns late, and they get the cover. And people that look at just the final scores are going to think old Miss is playing fine. You know, as far as LSU goes, I can't agree with you more, Kelly. The defense has surprised me. You know, Arkansas. That was a season high for Arkansas. Arkansas going on the road at LSU, putting up twenty-five first downs and four hundred twenty-six yards. That was a season best for Arkansas. And another thing, just again, for new people handicapping college football, this the next week or two, I think there's more value in college football than any other weeks of the season because you have such a disparity of the strength of schedule. You have teams in new, unique situations in non-conference games, playing conference games. Obviously, LSU played the conference game. Uh, because later on in the year, they host Army, as a lot of SEC teams do in November, playing those non-conference games. So while I like LSU, I am certainly not going to back an LSU team that is going on the road with the defense they have as an away favorite. That's one of my rules. Uh, If I'm going to play a small away favorite, I need to have a defense that's close to equal or better than that opponent instead of worrying about backdoor touchdowns that can burn me. But a clear lean on the Tigers for me. Zach? Yeah, this is also a game that I'm not going to be touching. And this is a line that started with LSU opening up as a three-point favorite. This has already been bet down to two. A lot of the money's coming in on Ole Miss here. And the I was I'm hesitant to pick LSU on the road here. All the defensive conversations have been had here. I'm a little bit surprised with some of the stars they have up front with Harold Perkins, Mason Smith. These are guys that are both going to be high NFL draft picks. But they did have to hit the transfer portal hard in the offseason. LSU lost a lot of talent just this year, and they have not been able to live up or play up to the hype that they have in previous years. And This is an offense from Ole Miss that's got some firepower. They should be able to have a nice bounce back week offensively after playing a tough Bama team on the road. But the Ole Miss defense still not up to the level that I feel very confident in them in this home game. I think Malik Neighbors is going to be a matchup nightmare for whoever's in that secondary there. And so as much as LSU hasn't performed up to the expectations this are, they haven't looked great, I still think this is one that they're going to get done on the road. I think the offense is going to be too good here. Probably going to be one of those games who can make the last stop. I'm tempted to take the over 67. Haven't done so yet, but I think there's going to be a lot of points in this one. I am going to take LSU on the road. Love it. Uh, Ralph, you want one more thing on this game, I think, before we move on? I do. Uh, For those that follow me at Twitter, you guys know I I use a lot of trends and stats and situations. And, And a quick note, a trend or an angle is really something based on a team. And for me, it's not nearly as strong, but a system is a situation in college football that that uh, pertains to all teams. So it's a much stronger for me. So when you look at college football teams that had at least three wins are off their first loss of the season as a ranked team playing an opponent off a win. And now that team is a small favorite or a dog. So You know, later in the season, we talk about bubble burst a lot. But we know in college football, if you're a ranked team and you even have one loss, that could almost be a bubble burst for you. So teams in that situation, the last 10 years in college football, have only gone 30 and 65 against the spread. That's 31.6% ATS. That would be fading 
Old Miss in that role off the loss to Alabama. So again, when I see situations like that, do they make sense? Yes. Is there a solid sample size? Yes. Are you going to base a bet on that? Absolutely not. But make sure that is part of the situation when you're weighing all the positive and negative factors on whether to bet a team or to fade a team. I love that nugget. Yeah, when you were giving the qualifiers, I was thinking, how big is the sample size here? That's a significant sample size uh, with with regard to the record that you gave of the teams in that spot. I'll be curious, Ralph, to see how, if at all, that record changes when we move to an expanded playoff and that one loss doesn't necessarily burst as many teams' bubbles as it has uh, up to this point in either the BCS era or the four-team college football playoff era as teams will remain, quote, in the national championship race later into the year with more spots available. That will be interesting to watch. I'm going to take this next one first as well, guys. It's the other game that I put on our breakdown this week. It is Notre Dame at Duke. I'm intrigued by this game. It's not a conference game, of course. It involves the Irish. But I'm intrigued by this one nonetheless. I have Notre Dame minus five and a half. It's a 65% win expectancy for the Irish. I believe the Vegas line's about five and a half as well. So I'm kind of right there with that one. Despite the loss to Ohio State, Notre Dame's power rating improved compared to last week. The Irish's power rating is up nearly four points since the preseason. And their regular season win total projection has improved from 8.7 to 9.3. The defense is number 12 but it's the Sam Hartman-led offense that has been better than expected by my numbers, rising from number 27 in the preseason to number 10. Currently, I think Sam Hartman's been very good for the Fighting Irish, probably the best quarterback they've seen and most beloved that they've seen to this point since maybe Brady Quinn. I mean, going back, geez, to the the mid-aughts there. Notre Dame is favored in each of its remaining games by my numbers and has a 12% chance to win out. On the other side, it's been a great season for Duke so far. This is two years in a row. The Blue Devils are number eight in my most deserving rankings, and they're my number 12 biggest overachiever to date this season. Duke's power rating has improved 8.4 points from the preseason. Only Oklahoma and Washington have improved their K forward rating more in that time. The Blue Devils' projected regular season win total has improved from 5.9 to a whopping 8.8, guys. 60% chance that the Blue Devils win nine-plus regular season games now for me. Just to give you context, in the preseason, that was a 4% chance. It's been a phenomenal year for Duke, really, in all aspects. The offense and defense are both now top 25 units, and Duke's overall power rating is up from number 50 in the preseason to number 24 currently. So I'm encouraged by Duke, but as I mentioned, Notre Dame's a favorite in every game they play now. That includes this one. I have Notre Dame minus 5.5. It's a 35% chance that Duke wins this one at home and moves to 5-0 and on the year. Zach, we're coming to you. Yeah, this is definitely a game that Notre Dame is going to have to get right back up for because Duke has 100% proven they're a legitimate team. This Notre Dame defense, which actually in my research this week, I completely forgot about this. This was Mike Elko, where he's kind of started his run over the last mm-hmm. five years. He was the defensive coordinator for ND in, in 2018. They came off a 4-8 and eight season. That kind of started this trend that, that he's been on now, going from Notre Dame to AM to now being the head coach at Duke. And this Duke football team, they're good, right? They, they like to run a balanced offense. They found a lot of uh, success on the ground this year running the football. They got a couple capable backs in Jordan Waters and Jacquez Moore. You add the running ability of Riley Leonard with a pretty good offensive line in this Duke team. They're set up to be a team that's hard to stop. 
Now, I'm a little bit concerned with the Notre Dame defense. They're, they allowed over five yards per carry last week to Ohio State. Got a little shaky in the run game. They're allowing over five and a half yards per carry on the ground this year. I think with that ability for Leonard to get outside the pocket, I look for that being an area that Notre Dame's going to try and exploit is to run the ball, which is what they like to do normally. So Notre Dame, I expect them to bounce back a bit, a little bit offensively. Ohio State defense didn't give them a whole lot to work with. I think Sam Hartman and this offense are going to find a way to get rolling again this week. Duke showing a top five pass unit this year thus far. They're number five. I'm not really surprised that Mike Elko has drafted up a scheme there that's shown some success, but I like the offensive line at Notre Dame to be able to control this one. I think they get the run game going with Esme. And ultimately, five and a half, I'm not really comfortable laying that with Notre Dame. Uh, I, I do think they find a way to, to win around that single touchdown range right there. I like Duke to keep it close, but ultimately, I think Notre Dame's going to get it done. Ralph, what do you think about this one? Well, the, the number that jumps out to me is this. You look at Duke and you say, oh, they beat Clemson 28-7, you know, but they got outgained that game. And there are 133 teams in the FBS Duke has played the number 120 schedule. So when you're looking at offensive stats from Lafayette, when you're looking at offensive stats against Northwestern, and when you're looking at offensive stats when you play at UConn, those stats need to be tempered. I mean, there's only so much you can look. When you look at Notre Dame, you know, Navy, it's in Ireland. You go to NC State, you play Central Michigan, you play Ohio State. 47.4% completion is what Notre Dame's defense is going to do. Now, does Notre Dame have a bubble burst? I think it's too early in the season for them to think bubble burst. You know, you played well against Ohio State. I think Marcus Freeman did learn that it's better to have 11 defensive players on the field versus 10. That's going to help this week. And I look at the situation and, and I and I lean Notre Dame, but I'm not going to get to the Notre Dame side. You know, I, I like Mike Alco. I like what Duke has done, 4-0 straight up in ATS this week. Yes, Riley Leonard has the backdoor potential to move the ball down late. And it's a very exciting game for Duke. You know, Duke scheduled two games this year where they brought in their highest recruits opening game against Clemson and this game against Notre Dame. And, you know, people think, oh, homecoming's a big deal and this team's on homecoming and parents week. To me, when you have homecoming and parents week, those are distractions. Your players are showing around friends. They're with family. They're not concentrating on the game that they need to. But when you have your huge recruiting weeks, players are focused Coaches are focused. There seems to be more of a temperament on the team. They play with a tougher mentality. So for that reason, it's going to keep me off Notre Dame. If you said to me, you have to pick a side, I would lean Notre Dame. But uh, this is a game. Remember, we as fans and as bettors don't have to bet every game. Vegas has to put out a number on every game, but we can just enjoy and watch a game and learn about each of these teams moving forward for the rest of the season. That's my approach to every game, Ralph, and I absolutely love the Marcus Freeman. Hey, by the way, you might do a little better if you've got 11 players on the field. Uh, Yeah, that's a pretty sound strategy for playing uh, college football here in the year 2023. Uh, All right, guys, next game, King, we're going to come to you. It's a game that you wanted to talk about. It should be a good one. The Big 12 is an exciting conference. I know Texas and Oklahoma have really, you know, from a power rating standpoint, separated themselves. There's a lot of good teams, though, that are still vying in the middle of that conference. I think this is these are two of those teams. One we expected, one maybe we didn't. It's West Virginia at TCU King. You asked for it. Let's hear it. 
Yeah, I wanted to give the Big 12 some love here. We got the night game in Fort Worth, and you mentioned, I think the West Virginia Mountain Ears are a team that you slowly got to keep an eye on. They've definitely exceeded expectations thus far this year. I don't really think they're, we can be honest, they're not really in position that they're going to be right there towards the top of the Big 12 at the end of the year. But in regards to being a disruptor and competing in some of these games, I absolutely think you can continue the, the or put the Mountaineers in that conversation. Now, offensively, they are still lacking. They are not getting fantastic QB play right now. Garrett Green did not play last week. Not sure if he's going to be back this week. They got a backup. Nico Marquial didn't necessarily play well last week. But the one thing that the Mountaineers do have going is this offensive line has improved from last year, and they may have found something and converted tight end running back C.J. Donaldson. This is a big 240-pound guy who's averaging over four and a half yards per carry. That run game for West Virginia has really been what's kept them in a lot of these games thus far this year. Now, TCU, they've been really good at stopping the run thus far. They're a top-20 run defense. They hadn't allowed more than 80 yards on the ground until last week where SMU did put up 150 on them. This is a good unit, and West Virginia is absolutely going to have to run the ball if they, if they want to have any chance of winning this game. And we'll see if TCU is able to regain that form from a couple weeks ago or if they lack a little bit like they did versus SMU last week. Now, the biggest improvement on the field, and I look forward to hearing your numbers on this, Kelly, it, it seems to be with the defense with the Mountaineers, right? They're now stop, spouting a top 40 run defense, pass defense ranked 45th. This was a sub-125 sub unit last year. They're going to need to play that well this week. This TCU run game and Imani Bailey have are rolling right now. TCU averaging almost six yards per carry on the ground. Chandler Morris seemed to settle in. But I think West Virginia has enough to cause some disruption in this game. I, the, 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 being at home in Fort Worth, I don't necessarily know that WVU – West Virginia has the horses to pull this off, but I have seen enough from the Mountaineers this year, which I don't think they get run over. I'm tempted to take the 12 and a half in this one. Haven't made any moves yet, but I like West Virginia to hang around. Ultimately, TCU is going to get it done, though. I'm going to get to that West Virginia defense, King. Don't worry, but first we're going to go to Ralph on this one. Ralph, what do you think? It's West Virginia at TCU. Well, you look at the West Virginia D, 211 yards against Pittsburgh. That was Pittsburgh season low. 321 yards against Texas Tech. That was a season low. And what impressed me as much as the 321 yards against Texas Tech, as you said, Zach, you know, Garrett Green did not play. He did dress. So that makes me think he's likely going to be ready for this week. It's much different dressing and warming up and deciding if you're going to play or not with an ankle injury like he did. Uh, that cost me a win last week. I liked West Virginia and it kept me off the game because Green was questionable. And then, you know, what do they do? So, you know, you look at Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris for for TCU has completed 68%, a 9-3 ratio. A lot of dink and dunk passes, though. When you only have a 7.9 YPA yards per attempt, that means you're not stretching the field. And that's sort of surprising because they're averaging over 208 yards per game rushing and 4.9 yards per carry. We've seen the offensive line. They didn't allow a sack versus Colorado or Nichols. They did allow three sacks on the road at Houston and then two against SMU. But the TCU defense, the D-line has been awesome. I've only seen clips of them, but they have 16 sacks on the season, including six against Houston and three against SMU. They're sacking the quarterback uh, once every 10.5% of every time the quarterback goes down. So that has impressed me as well. On the season, you know, the D gave up a lot of yards against Colorado, but, you know, we didn't know what to expect of the Sanders. I mean, Colorado 
surprised me as much as any team in the history of college football, as they did most teams. So allowing 565 yards to that fast-paced offense that that had, you know, 91, 81 plays in that game, uh, I, I'm going to say that's the anomaly. We look past that and we move forward. Uh, I'm going to agree with Zach on this one. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think West Virginia is going to run the ball no matter what happens. And if if anything's going to happen in this game, I'm going to grab the points. Uh, Penn's, you know, the Penn State game to start the season, you got out gained by 170 yards. The score was 38-15. But remember, Franklin brought in his backups and scored on that last play of the game. So there's a lot of misleading garbage time stats in that game that if they were playing anyone else, that would not be the box score. That game would have been within 100 yards, and that game would have been a 16-point final. But having played at Penn State for your first game of the season – on the road in prime time sets you up very well for going to TCU and being able to play at Fourth Fort Worth. Uh, I, I think West Virginia can keep it within the number. We face a data problem, a sample size problem in college football. So you're always hesitant to get rid of data or ignore any data, but you touched on it there, Ralph. From a predictive analytics standpoint, from a power rating standpoint, you've got to filter out that garbage time. If you want to include it for some of your resume stuff, I see the case for that and I can have that conversation. But from a power rating standpoint, from a predictability standpoint, garbage time, no good. Even though we don't have a lot of data, you got to get rid of it. Guys, my number says TCU minus nine. It's a 74% win expectancy. You guys have both touched on it. Following a really disappointing loss to Colorado to start the year, TCU's power rating immediately dropped four points. And again, we didn't really know what to make of Colorado. We've seen a little bit more now that the, the models, mine and others have a much better feel for that Buffalo team now than they did in week one. Since that loss, though, the Horned Frogs have run off three straight wins by an average score of 37 to 12. Their power rating is right back where it started in the preseason. The offense is number 24. That's fifth best in the conference. The defense is number 44. That's ninth best in the Big 12. Like TCU, West Virginia opened the year with a loss, that Penn State game that Ralph was just talking about, and has since reeled off three straight wins. Wins over Pitt and Texas Tech. The Mountaineers now find themselves number 21 in my most deserving rankings. And guys, I'm just going to say it. I can't win. These West Virginia fans, they're all over me last year for some preseason stuff. They're all over me this year for preseason stuff, telling me my model's trash, that I don't respect their team, all, all these things. I, I hate their team, you might even say. All these things. Now I have now I have most deserving rate number 21, and they're out there saying, ah, I don't know. I don't think we're actually – we don't deserve to be ranked 21. I'm like, okay, I can't win. I tell you guys you aren't very good, you get mad. I tell you you got a great resume, and you say it's not that good, and you get mad. West Virginia fans, I tell you what, I just don't get it. But, hey, that's where the numbers have them, number 21 in the power ratings. It's been a very good year for West Virginia for that from that standpoint. And the power rating's up, the resume ranking's up, looking good for West Virginia, much better than my preseason numbers um, had expected. The offense has been worse than expected, to be fair. They've fallen from number 40 to number 69, but the defense, as King talked about, as Ralph, you alluded to, the defense has more than made up that ground. They've improved from a projected number 82 unit in the preseason to now number 40. Overall, West Virginia is up two and a half points and 11 spots in the power ratings. The Mountaineers entered the year with a 31% chance to go bowling by my numbers. That's now up to an 
75% chance. It's just remarkable. I was going to ask you that. I figured it had to have a massive jump that they were going to probably make a bowl at this point. Yeah, man. It's up to 85% for me. Again, they're 3-1. and one. They have 1.1 more wins than I expected to this point in the season with my preseason realistic expectations. You go down their schedule, my number's right now, so you need three more. My number's right now. Make them a favorite at Houston, home to Oklahoma State, home to BYU, home to Cincinnati, at Baylor. You're probably not going to win all those games, but you're going to get three of those, I would think, and you might even get this one this week. My numbers are giving you a one in four chance to do it. They've pulled that off uh, before, so they can do it again. We'll see. It'll be interesting. Um, by my numbers, guys, TCU has the advantage on both sides of the ball, though, and they have the home field advantage. Bottom line, TCU minus nine. It's a 26% chance, as I said, one in four for West Virginia to move to 2-0 and in Big 12 play. King, you said probably not a contender to play in the Big 12 championship. At this point, it really is a two-horse race. But if Texas or Oklahoma were to stumble, I'll give you what the numbers say. TCU right now has an 8% chance to make it. That's fourth best in the conference. With a win, it jumps to 10%. With a loss, it falls to 2%. West Virginia, currently a 3% chance to make it to Arlington. If they win, it's up to 9%. With a loss, it drops to 1%. Our final featured game, guys, Ralph, this is the one that you asked for. So we're going to start with you. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at this line. I'm thinking who these teams are. I'm thinking there's got to be some sort of strong lean that you have here. We are talking about Washington at Arizona out there in the Mount, or the, excuse me, the Pacific time zone where Ralph resides. Ralph, hit us with it. It's Washington at Arizona. What are you thinking? Well, we have Arizona off a rare road win going to Stanford. Got out game by five yards per game. Put up 20 first downs, beating Stanford 21-20. We look at Washington. Washington took care of business against Cal. You know, a lot of this has to do with coaching. I am a huge Kalen DeBoer fan. I've been betting on Kalen DeBoer when he was an OC at Fresno, when he was an OC at Indiana, when he went back to be the head coach at Fresno, and now the head coach of Washington. Penix is legit, 75%. We talked earlier about a quarterback having a 7.2 YPA. Penix's YPA is 11.9. And they've played Boise State, Tulsa, at Michigan State in California. Not an incredible schedule, but one of the teams that has played three Power 5 teams and four FBS teams, that right there puts you at a different level. Arizona started the season with Northern Arizona. Go to Mississippi State. Have a big edge against Mississippi State. They impressed me uh, going to Starksville. They lost 31-24, to but that's one of the games that you absolutely have to circle because they were minus four turnovers. Uh, I think one out of every 30 teams wins when you're minus four turnovers in a game. So that is a loss that you expect. Now, why did they turn the ball over? Well, you know, Delora has a 9-5, a touchdown interception ratio. We thought when he transferred in from Washington State that, you know, he is 70%. He does only have an 8.6, but that's just the way the offense sets up. But Deloria may not play. He got injured last week. We saw Fifty come in and uh, and actually get the win in this game. But I do like Washington. Washington's defense, yes, they gave up 502 yards to Cal. And when I said I don't want to take a conference away favorite with a defense that's not better than their opponent, um, while statistically Washington may not be better, 
Washington giving up. Uh, let me take a look at my numbers. Washington giving up 371 yards per game. Arizona, 314 yards per game. But again, this is another one of those statistical things that we look at. That doesn't mean your defense is better. You look at Arizona and who they've played. Arizona has played UTEP. Their offense is number 96. Stanford, their offense is number 83. They played Northern Arizona, a bad FBS team. And then they played Mississippi State. And yes, I can hear people say, well, do you know they held Mississippi State to 307 yards? That is a very good performance. I'm going to point out this. When you're minus four turnovers and you give up a four-play drive for 50 yards, a two-play drive for six yards, a four-play drive for 30 yards, and a two-play drive for 25 yards, Mississippi State's offense doesn't have a chance to move the ball because they're getting the ball in the red zone and they're scoring two plays later. So that's a very, very misleading stat for me for Arizona. I'm going to put that in perspective. And even head coach Fish said, you know, Delora has made splash plays. He's avoided sacks. He's using his feet, keeping his eyes downfield. It's like we've seen from, it's like something we've seen from any other quarterback I've coached, you know, but now you have a situation where he's either hobbled or you have a very young, inexperienced quarterback taking over. I think Washington continues their dominant run. I actually have Washington, one, two, three, four, tied for fifth in my power ratings. And uh, I'm not afraid to lay the number in this game. And and just FYI, Kelly, I want to hear this from you. Um, in my top two, four, six, in my top nine teams, I have Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, USC, and Washington, which would mean if we were looking at the 2024 Big Ten, six of the nine teams would be Big Ten teams looking at those numbers. Yeah, uh, I'll give you mine right here. So in my my power ratings, top, top 10 here, Ohio State number one, Penn State number two, uh, Oregon number seven, Washington number eight, USC number 10. So there's five. I've got Michigan sitting there at number 12. I know I'm a little bit lower on Michigan than most others out there. So I've got six of the top 12 uh, future Big Ten teams in my power ratings. Yeah, Big Ten Conference is going to get much more difficult here. It's already one of the best, and it's going to get much more difficult in 2024 with the conference realignment. Uh, I'll take this game next, and and I know, Ralph, you were talking about that Arizona defense and some you know misleading stats. I'm going to talk about that defense, though, and, and tell you what my numbers think. But before I get to them, I always talk about my, my projected winner first. I have Washington minus 19.5, so uh, would be covering the spread based on the number that I'm seeing and agreeing with you there, Ralph. It's a 91% win expectancy for the Huskies to win this game outright. The Huskies have been legitimately awesome this year, guys. Their power rating is up 8.8 .8 points from the preseason. That is the second most in the nation behind only Oklahoma. I had the offense number seven coming into the year. I felt good about that. But Penix and company have blown that out of the water, improving to number two nationally behind only USC. And while the offense has been impressive, I mean, how can you be a top two offense and not be? It's the defense that surprised me even more. I projected this defense number 50 in the preseason. The Huskies D is now number 23. 
Washington is number seven in my most deserving rankings. They are outscoring their opponents by nearly 17 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team against that schedule. That's second best relative scoring margin in the country, again, behind only Oklahoma. For Arizona, they're 3-1 and one now, as, as Ralph talked about there. They're an overtime loss in Starkville away from being undefeated, guys. The Wildcats currently have a power rating of 0.0. That means that this team is the definition of FBS average for me. It's not every week we talk about a team with a 0.0 rating, so I had to put that in there. The offense is top 40, and so that that's good. I mean, that's the better of the two units here. Ralph, I, I've actually been impressed by the defense relative to my preseason expectations. Uh, they were very low coming in. I had this defensive unit ranked number 119 in the preseason out of 133 FBS teams. I currently have them number 74. So I don't disagree with some of the misleading stats you talked about, but from an efficiency standpoint and from a performance uh, overall standpoint, they've been much better than the model expected. They are now up to number 74. For as nice of a season as Arizona has put together to this point, the Wildcats' chances to go bowling have actually fallen, guys, from 40% in the preseason to 38% currently. That's not because Arizona's gotten worse. It's because the rest of the Big 12 has been so much better than expected. This conference has the best quarterbacks. This conference has the best offenses. It is truly a shame. I know we just talked about conference realignment. It is truly a shame that this conference is being destroyed after this year. They are doing their best to go out with a bang, and I love seeing that. The game at Arizona State to end the year is currently the only remaining game in which my numbers favor Arizona. Recapping it, I have Washington minus 19.5. It's a 9% chance that Arizona moves to 2-0 in conference play. Washington is right now my number two favorite to make it to Las Vegas with a 57% chance to make it that game. With a win, it jumps to 59%. With a loss, they fall back behind USC and have a 32% chance to make it to the Pac-12 championship game. Arizona, on the other hand, less than a 1% chance currently. If they are to win this game uh, with that 9%, it would be a 1% chance to make it to Las Vegas. A loss keeps them under 1%. Zach, wrap us up here with our feature games. It's Washington at Arizona. Yeah, so this was the first bet that I placed this week, actually, was taking Washington minus 18. And Ralph talked about that game last week. Definitely some misleading stats there with that Washington defense. I really believe they kind of took the feet, their feet off the gas there in the second half. They were up by so much. They ended up pulling Penix, too. And actually, for a second there, it looked like Cal had a chance at a backdoor cover on that. They ended up making a drive late in the game to really put that out of, out of uh, harm's reach there. But the Washington defense started off absolutely on fire this week, and, and I think they're going to be able to do enough to slow down the Arizona offense. I don't think there's a ton of firepower there. I am a fan of Delore. I think he is a competent college quarterback, but there are some injury questions there, and I, I'm still kind of high on this Washington defense personally. I think they have shown enough through the season that they are a top-tier unit, and I just don't think there's anything that Arizona's sub-60 ranked secondary is going to be able to do versus Michael Penix in this offense. It, it's pretty clear. I, I anticipate the Washington to get on them early here, so I'm going to lay the points with the Huskies again, and I'm, I'm hopefully going to pick up another win with them this week. Uh, we'll see what, see what happens. We all like the Huskies big by more than the Vegas line. Guys, must be said, Tucson after dark has been known to be a weird place to play. Uh, I'm not saying they're going to win the game outright, but we have seen some wacky results from Arizona late at night in big Pac-12 games against contenders. That wraps up our feature uh, games, guys. Went, went in-depth on all six, and we're going to touch on those some of those again here as we transition to the pick'em. So, Ralph, how this works is, really quickly, what we do is we give our winner of the game straight up. No line. You give your winner, and you give the confidence points from 1 to 10. 10 is your most confident. 
One is your least confident. You use every number once. So we'll start with you, and then we'll go to King, and then we'll do me. I'll keep track with the scorecard here, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll get to some best bets to wrap up. So who is your winner, Ralph, and how many confidence points? We have Florida going on the road to Kentucky in an SEC East showdown. Well, you know, I'm going to be a little ignorant here. I'm not sure how to give my confidence points if I don't know what all 10 games were. And if you sent them to me, I apologize. Okay, gotcha. We will circle back after the episode and put out on the scorecard what Ralph's uh, confidence points are in these. For now, Ralph, we'll, we'll do these games. It's the 10 Pick'em games on the ESPN app. So I'll tell them to you, just give us your straight-up winner. No need to, to consider the spread at all. Who's going to win the game between Florida at Kentucky? I like this Florida team. I think they're underrated, but I'm going to back Kentucky here. All right. Kinger, what about you? I'm taking the Gators for two. Don't feel good about that one either, but we're rolling with it. All right. I got to split the tie or break the tie here. I'm going to go with Ralph. I'm going to take it for two. And King, I'm going to go with you on the confidence points. Give me Kentucky for two confidence points in this one. I actually have this as a straight pick them, um, but I'm leaning Kentucky with a 52% win expectancy. Our next game, Ralph, we're looking at Clemson on the road at Syracuse. Who do you like to win this game straight up? I think Dino Babers is an underrated coach. I think the Syracuse defense impressed the hell out of me. Uh, I'm going to say let's put an end to the Clemson season today and back the Qs. Wow. All right, Kinger, what about you? Can't go quite that far with, with the Tigers just yet. I got Clemson for six. All right, so I got to break the tie again. Uh, this time, I'm going to go with Kinger. I'm going to take Clemson, but I'm only taking them for one confidence point, guys. I have this. This is two games in a row, and we start right out of the gate. I have this as a pick as well. Again, 52% win expectancy for Clemson. Yeah, I, Ralph, you said to bury them. I think they're... I think they're buried already. They're 0-2 in conference play. All their preseason goals are already gone. If they lose this one, the sky is falling in Clemson. Give me Clemson for one confidence point. Ralph, we are going to a neutral site game here. It is Arkansas against Texas A&M. Who do you like in this one straight up? A&M for me. Kinger? I'm going A&M for eight. I'm going to make it a clean sweep. I'm going to take a and I'm taking them for nine confidence points, guys. My numbers like a and by eight and a half in this one. It's a 73% win expectancy. We're going off the grid a little bit here to the Sunbelt Conference. Ralph, we've got South Alabama at James Madison. You know, boy, South Alabama, you know, the way they looked against Oklahoma State and what happened last week, uh, what are you going to say? Um I think James Madison has more talent. Uh, I, I will back James Madison in this one. But, you know, what South Alabama showed me against Oklahoma State was just eye-popping. How we, Again, it, it, we go back to overreacting to one team from one week to the next. That's college football. Without a doubt, from the from the win at Oklahoma State to the loss at home to Central Michigan, highs and lows for South Alabama. King, who are you taking in this one? Yeah, two physical teams with really good defenses this, but you got to trust JMU, so I'm taking them for, what was it, seven confidence points. All right, I'm going to make it a clean sweep. I'm taking James Madison for five confidence points. My numbers like the Dukes by three at home. It's a 59% win expectancy. Let's hop on over to the American, Ralph. We have USF going on the road to face Navy. Who you like here? You know, it's tough for me to back Navy as a favorite. 
And remember, now that we're in conference play, these conferences, these conference foes see the option every year, prep for it in the offseason. With that said, it's going to be very low on my list, but I'll give my lean to Navy. Kinger? Same with Ralph. I'm taking Navy for one confidence point. I'll make it a clean sweep. I'm taking Navy. I'm taking them for three confidence points. My numbers like the midshipmen by two coming off of an off week, um, and that is a 56% win expectancy for Navy. Let's go to a non-conference game here. We've got Boise State traveling across the country. They're taking on Memphis. Ralph, who you like here? You know, I'm going to say this. You know, Boise there's a disadvantage to joining, you know, joining the Big 12 and now seeing all these stadiums for the first time on the road. Remember, all the other opponents have to travel once or twice to these new stadiums playing in the different time zone. I think all those things are going to have little effects on Boise early. I will back the Tigers. Kinger? Yeah, I'm also on the Tigers for five confidence points. Man, I'm really not doing my part here to shake things up. I'm going to take Memphis as well. I'm taking them for seven confidence points. My numbers like the Tigers by four in this one. It's a 62% win expectancy. Here's a game we talked about in the featured games. It is LSU at Ole Miss. Ralph, remind everybody, who are you taking straight up? LSU for me. Kinger? LSU for three. Here I go. I'm going to be the contrarian on this one. I am going to take Ole Miss. Um, talked about this game already. Give me the Rebels. I'm taking them for four confidence points. My numbers like them by two and a half points. It's a 58% win expectancy. So there I am. There's my game to be the contrarian in the pick'em. Let's go back to the Sunbelt Conference here. We have Troy going on the road to Georgia State, Ralph. What do you think here? Um, you want to talk a pick'em game, and there's times that you handicap a game, and it's still a pick'em game. Uh, <laughs> done a lot of home teams, so uh, Troy's going to be at the bottom of my list, but I'll back the Trojans. Kinger? I'm going to take Georgia State for four confidence points. Press the team thus far, but absolutely not counting out Troy in this one. It's going to be a good one. It is going to be a good one. Georgia State sitting at 4-0, and oh, my number four biggest overachiever to this point of the season. And I'm going to roll with them again. I'm going to take Georgia State. My numbers like them by three and a half. It's a 60% win expectancy at home. That's a big one here for me. Give me Georgia State for six confidence points. We got two games left. This one we talked about in the feature games. It is Notre Dame at Duke. Ralph, remind everybody, who are you taking straight up? The Irish for me. Kinger? Notre Dame for nine. All right, I'm going to join you guys. And King, I'm going to join you on that upper end. I'm going to take Notre Dame for eight confidence points. Five and a half points is what my numbers like them by on the road. A 65% win expectancy. And we're wrapping with a game we talked about as well. It's one that King put on the conversation card. We've got West Virginia at TCU. Ralph, who are you taking straight up in this one? Yeah, I said I was going to, I leaned West Virginia plus the points. But it, with a double digit line, it's clearly TCU for me. Kinger? TCU for 10. I am going to join you both on TCU and King. I'll join you with 10. My numbers like the Horn Frogs by nine. It's a 74% win expectancy. I've had a tendency to lose some uh, some high confidence point games this, this year. Hopefully it doesn't happen here. Give me TCU for 10. Guys, that wraps up the Pick'em competition. Ralph, I'll circle back up with you and we'll get those confidence points and we'll get that in the scorecard that we'll post on Friday. Um, let's go to best bets. King, let's start with you. I know you talked a little bit about them. Give us some of your best bets, and then, Ralph, we're going to end the show with your best bets as our resident 
professional handicapper cannot wait. I know King might actually add a couple based on your advice. King, let's start with you. Well, I, we'll just start. I added one right there. I told you guys I was leaning West <laughs> Virginia plus 12 and a half to hear Ralph say he liked the points. And you, Kelly, I went ahead and bet that right as we were talking tonight. So in the games we discussed, I'm taking the Mountaineers to, to cover the points. I'm taking Washington laying 18 on the road. I'm going to take Utah plus three and a half at Oregon State. Then three favorites I like this weekend. Friday night, Louisville minus three at NC State. Yes, road game. But I'm really liking what this Jeff Brom offense has shown thus far for the Cardinals. Louisville hit the transfer portal hard in the offseason. This NC State defense mentioned a few weeks ago, not near as good as it has been in the past few years. Potential letdown spot for Brom, but I think the Cardinals are more talented here. So I'm going to take them laying the points. I also like Penn State on the road, minus 26 and a half at Northwestern on Saturday. Northwestern rush defense. Their defense just in general. This team is very down, very porous. I expect Penn State to be able to control the tempo on this. I don't see Northwestern putting up too many points on the por- on the board. So yes, it's a big spread, but I am going to lean Nittany Lions in this one. And then the last one, again, taking Tennessee, laying 12 and a half at home versus South Carolina. I don't think this South Carolina offensive line is going to be able to hold up versus that volunteer front. I, ver- I worry on the other side, of the, again, their ability to stop the run. Tennessee's got the, off- the run game going. We're really yet to see a major explosive Tennessee performance this year. There's always been some inconsistencies there. I think the Volunteers are going to get back on track. It's a little much for an SEC game, but I like laying the points there in that one. Awesome. Ralph? What about you? Any games you want to talk about here as as good plays that you like and that you want that you're inclined to give out? Yeah, you know, the one that I know that'll be on my card is going to be Washington. I, I'm not afraid to lay the number with that offense. Kelly, you talked about the defense. Uh, two games off the board that I'm going to mention is uh Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh, obviously a disappointing start to the season. Uh, but I'm not a lay, I'm not afraid to lay that that small number against Virginia Tech. You know, early in this year, when you see those teams struggle like VT has, um, keep fading them, guys. There's 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 value to be had early because you look at VT and they still have the name and the reputation. And until we get in conference play, you can find good teams to fade because of the history and the name. And I'm going to go to the Sun Belt for one and. I really like Coastal Carolina. I like the I like the situation. Coastal lost to Georgia Tech last week. They had a 402 yard edge. Uh, you know they were in that game. They trailed early, 17 to three. They had a shot late. They didn't get there. Georgia Southern off a fat and sassy win against Ball State, putting up 534 yards, a 37 point win. But remember, prior to that, they had a very physical Wisconsin game. So they're returning home off back to back games. In that game, uh, I have Georgia Southern, a one-point favorite. Vegas opened at seven. It's now six and a half. So very, very solid. I think it's my biggest power rating difference from the Vegas line to that. So Pitt, Washington, and Coastal Carolina for me. I love it. Guys, this has been so much fun. It is not every day we have a professional handicapper with us. Uh, Ralph, thank you again for joining us. This was great. Remind everybody, you know, one more time. Of course, you're over at Wager Talk. Remind everybody, where can they find you on Twitter or on X? Where can they find your plays? Can they subscribe to anything? Just plug everything you want to plug so that our listeners know where they can keep up with all your great content. I was scribbling down numbers, Kelly. Should I run them down for you? Run them down. Okay, uh, Kentucky 2, Syracuse 1, A&M 8, 
Madison five, Navy seven, Memphis six, Old Miss four, excuse me, LSU four, uh, Troy three, Irish nine, and TCU 10 for mine. Uh, follow me at Twitter at CalSportsLV. And guys, you can head to Wager Talk. You'll see my plays, you'll see my packages up there. But I'm so very proud of the free guides that I do. You know, every week I do a show called Bet on It, which breaks down trends and angles for college football and the NFL. And then each Wednesday night, I post the PDF with all those trends, all the ATS records, all the teams it applies to. Uh, I also have a guide up there. Yes, we're three weeks into the NFL season, so you might think it's too late, but it's not. It's the 25 biggest betting myths busted in NFL gambling. Like, did you know that NFL back-to-back road teams are better against the spread than NFL back-to-back home teams? Did you know that if you are in a division sandwich, meaning you have a division foe that you just played and you have a division foe on deck, you are hitting over 55% in that division sandwich when everyone in the world is saying that's a flat spot. Did you know NFL double-digit favorites are hitting over 58%? So a lot of great information. you got to wager talk and check out my page, Ralph Michaels, or the shortcut is wt.buzz backslash rm. I love it, Ralph. Thank you again. Guys, make sure you check him out. Make sure you're following him. He gets all this good information out there. Ralph, we really appreciate you joining us. This was so much fun. This has been We Hate Your Team, a proud partner of the VSN Collegiate Network. Until next time, enjoy week five of the 2023 college football season.